Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. I know the Lord is going to work and move. His power, His presence is here. We are so honored tonight to have Christina Gard with us. She is a, a, no, I know she's got a powerful word from the Lord. She is a professor at Southeastern. Her and her husband started Grace City Church in Lakeland. How many years ago? Three and a half years ago, they started Grace City Church in Lakeland, Florida, and it has exploded. I'm telling you, revival has just taken place. I believe six services on the weekend, five services on the weekend. While she's here preaching tonight, they're having their fifth service today for the weekend. And uh, it's just exciting to know, hear me church, revival is taking place in America, Central Florida. Can you make Miss Christina Gard feel welcome as she comes to share the word of God? This evening. Come on. Can we thank your incredible pastor, Gary? What, what a legend. What an absolute legend. Um, I have to tell you, I am just completely in awe right now of the presence of God in this place. I got to tell you, you know. It's not a few glistening tears, it was a full on ugly cry over there as I felt myself walking into a river deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and I just wanna encourage you. Hi Christy, I haven't gotten to see you yet. I believe you're going to reap a harvest in this season for every seed that you have planted. And you're gonna see that revival, that harvest for every seed that has ever been planted, for every prayer that has been uttered in your hearts, for every desire that Jesus has placed in your hearts. I just sense something so special and so magnificent is happening here that I'm just like, let's just keep worshiping. But that's not why y'all brought me here, so better bring a word. Uh, as Pastor Gary said, my name is Christina, and my husband and I are so blessed to pastor our church. And when you're starting something new, it's kind of a scary thing, and your pastors and your church have supported us from day one, and we've just been so blessed by your guys' friendship and encouragement. And I'm not a stranger here. I've been here before for your ladies' conference, which was so much fun. Love your church and just love what you guys are doing. And when I'm not at church, I'm a professor of psychology and have the privilege of teaching at Southeastern University. And we have some SU alum. I saw a couple hands clap, okay? So I love what I get to do there. But my greatest accomplishment just occurred. I sent some pictures in. Do we have some pictures? There they are. These are my twins. This is Justice on the right and Adriana. This is Justice at Easter. He's pointing at the Easter bunny going, Mom, this is not about Easter. He's pointing to Jesus. That's what I'm believing right there. So this is Justice and Adriana, and we're so blessed to be the proud parents of two amazing little munchkins is what I call them. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to title this message, Faith in Focus. Faith in Focus. And I'm gonna read for us some scripture from the book of Matthew. 
And it's a story about a man's focus, his faith, his belief to get out of the boat. You may have heard this story before. It's one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray tonight that you would just continue the incredible work in ministry that you have done. God, we're so grateful for all that you have already accomplished and God, we believe you for more. In your name, Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen, thank you so much. Uh, one of the things that I really am kind of neurotic about is goals. And what I call them are focuses. And I know that's kind of a silly way to say it, but in my phone, I have a little app in my notes section and it says focuses. And I write on my little focuses, things that I'm desiring to do, things that I'm hoping to accomplish. And as soon as I accomplish them, I put one of those little check marks, you know, that we have in our phone, the little emoji check mark. And, and I, some of these are silly, some of them are sincere, some of them that have check marks next to them is something like swimming with manatee. Now, when I moved to Florida, I'm born and raised in Alaska. I'm talking rural village of Alaska. My family's a Nupiak Eskimo. I was born in a community of 300 people. I didn't have any running water, no electricity until I was eight years old. That means a five-gallon bucket was my toilet. That's where I was potty trained, is on a five-gallon bucket. I grew up in the middle of nowhere. So when I moved to Florida and I hear about these manatee, I was like, I have to swim with manatee. So checked that off my focuses list. Uh, dinner at a Disney castle. My husband blessed me with that a few years ago. I just, I wanted to pretend to be Princess Belle for the night and had such a wonderful time. Checked that off my list. Medieval times. Come on, people. I was swinging for the fences and I actually got to go to medieval times two years ago. It was one of my favorite date nights we've ever had. So those are things that were on my focus list that I checked off the list. Now there's some things that are on my list that I'm still desiring to have happen. Something like writing a book. Someday I would love to write a book. Uh, getting my PhD, I have several master's degrees but haven't accomplished the PhD and so I want to accomplish that. That's on my focuses list. Feeding tigers with my bare hands. 
I desire to hand meat over to a tiger with my bare hands and watch the tiger be fed from my hands. I have some things on my focuses list that I don't know when they're going to happen, I don't know how they're going to happen, but I'm believing for them to happen because I'm making them my focus. And if we don't make something our focus, we will not be able to accomplish it, believe for it, or see it done. Hence why the message is titled Faith in Focus. The point that I want us to grasp tonight is my focus sets the parameters for what I am believing for. My focus sets the parameters for what I am believing for. Now, we have some things working against us in this because we don't like to compromise comfort. We like to remain comfortable. We like to remain content. We don't like discomfort. We don't like the abnormal. We don't like the unusual. But from the time that we are young children, we are taught to believe that all things are possible. I grew up in a home that I was told I can be anything I want to be. And guess what? At seven years old, I believed I could be anything I wanted to be. I asked my mom a few months back, Mom, what did I say I wanted to be when I was a kid? And she said, well, you said you wanted to be president of the United States, you wanted to be an astronaut, and you wanted to own an ice cream shop. And I really believed at seven years old that I was going to see all of those things come to pass at the exact same time. Like you can be president, an astronaut, and own an ice cream shop at the exact same time. You see, we start off as young children believing that there are no parameters, that there is nothing boxing us in in life. And here's what begins to happen throughout life. We receive some disappointments. We get spoken words over us that aren't in alignment with scripture. We are told some things that box us in. And so I have a couple boxes here that if you could imagine with me that I'm a seven-year-old child and for the first time, this happened to me in elementary school, I was told by a teacher, you won't graduate from high school because Inupiaq girls don't graduate from high school. And I remember going home and talking to my mom and saying, mom, did you graduate from high school? And my mom looked at me who had me at 17 years old and said, no, Christina, I didn't. She ended up going right in to get her GED and filed her application the next day. I then watched my mom in middle school get her bachelor's degree, in high school go to law school, and I just saw her graduate with another MBA. She's proven to me that the words that are spoken over us, the desire to box in our belief, are only capable of doing so if we allow them to. Only capable of having that power and that hold over us if we give it permission. And so we start off as elementary students thinking everything's possible, but then in middle school, something happens. In high school, in, in your adult life, you have some disappointment, some discouragement, and you begin to place a box around the belief that you once had that God could use you to do anything, you've now put God in a box. And then what happens, more life happens. That diagnosis, that divorce, that situation and circumstance, and all of a sudden now you've put God in a smaller box. 
to the point that we get to a place in life where we actually don't believe that the word of God is true, that the word of God is correct, and we allow people to box in our God. But I came here tonight to tell you, church, our God cannot be boxed in. He is not capable of any box, boundary, or border that you don't give permission to. Our God is bigger than that situation, bigger than that circumstance, bigger than that diagnosis. Whatever that situation is, you're staring down in the face of God is bigger than that. Do not box in our God. He's not capable of being put into a box without our permission. We have to give God permission to do what God says that he's able to do. You see, the thing that's interesting to me and the disciples in this story as they're facing the storm, they're terrified. They think that when they see Jesus, it's a ghost. They're terrified for their lives. And yet, just before this, they had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. We forget so quickly how God has provided for us in the past. They just saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread, and they all of a sudden forsake the fact that God can calm the storm of whatever situation it is that we find ourselves in. They forgot the provision that Jesus had just provided for them in their past. And so often we want the blessing of provision without surrender to the provider. We want to receive what that thing is in our hearts without total and complete surrender. You see, the thing that's interesting about this story, there's multiple gospel accounts of this exact same story, which is just a big way of saying that Matthew had his opinion of what happened, and John had his opinion of what happened, and Mark had his opinion, and so there's three different tellings of these stories from different perspectives, and it's funny to me that in John's account... He says that the people, as soon as they saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with such small amounts of food, when they saw those baskets overflowing and bountiful, they said, let's make him our king. But they were making him a king of their stomach, not the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They were making him a king of their meal provision, the provision of a meal when Jesus is going, I didn't come to just give you fish and bread. I came to save your soul, to provide for you a life eternal, not even a life we can comprehend so long as we need fish and bread in our guts. He says, I came to give you life and life abundantly. And so Jesus, when he sees these people trying to make him a king over his stomach, he says, no, 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 no. In verse 22 through 24, it says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. You see, Jesus made them 
get into the boat. He sees them trying to make him king and Lord over their stomachs and says, no, no, no. You don't understand what I came to provide. So he makes them get into the boat. But how often are we being made to endure situations and circumstances that we don't want to experience, that we don't enjoy, and yet we can see the benefit that Jesus provides? Because in this trial, he is providing for the disciples the ability to trust Jesus even when they can't see him. The ability to trust Jesus, no matter what storm you are facing tonight, no matter what that circumstance is, you may not see Jesus, but he has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He is right there by your side, providing for you exactly what you need, exactly when you need it, even if it means he's got to make you get into some situations and circumstances. He never leaves you. I love that Mark's account of this same story says that he saw the disciples straining against the oars because the wind was there against him, straining against the oars. But you know what he saw when he saw them straining against the oars because of the wind and the waves? Jesus immediately went to them, immediately went to them. When he saw his people in need, he immediately went to them. If God brings you to it, he's going to bring you through it. It may not happen right when you want, in the exact way that you want, but he will provide. In verses 25 through 28, it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. There's something about a familiar voice. There's something about a familiarity with a voice that you know, love, and trust. There was a couple nights ago that Andrew was coming home and it was awfully late and I get nervous sometimes when he's been traveling and he's coming home and it's late in the night and if I hear the door beep, we have these little beepers, if I hear this beep, beep, I immediately, Andrew, Andrew, is that you? And as soon as I hear his voice, I'm immediately comforted by the fact of knowing that it's him. How familiar are we with the voice of Jesus? How often are we taking the time to familiarize ourselves with how Jesus speaks? See, Peter, who had been with Jesus, says, Jesus, if it is you, tell me to come. All Jesus has to say is, it is I. And Peter gets out of the boat. Sometimes the voice is a gentle nudge. Sometimes the voice is a prompting. Sometimes the voice is a prophetic word. Sometimes the voice is loud and obvious and clear. Sometimes it's a reminder of a word that was spoken over you when you were so small that you didn't even recall the word. We have to familiarize ourselves with that voice because Peter knew the voice of Jesus. In verse 29, Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. I remember the first time I heard this story. I was eight years old, I was at summer camp, and it was in Alaska at a place called Little Beaver Lake Kids Camp. And I heard this story, and all of my eight-year-old self started praying and believing that Jesus was going to make me walk on Lake Beaver. 
He was going to do it. I believed, I trusted, I was ready to testify to it. And so on the last day of summer camp, I walked down to Little Beaver Lake Kids Camp's Beaver Lake, and I walk out at the end of this wooden dock, and I trust and I believe, and I'm declaring God's word every step of the way, so that when I get to the edge of that dock, I say, Jesus, I'm coming for you. And I step out, and I sunk to the bottom. I wish I could tell you I walked on water, but I didn't. Now, here's the difference in these two stories. Jesus said, come. come on. Jesus said, come. You see, Jesus didn't tell me to walk on the water. I wanted to go show off to all of my eight-year-old cabin mates that I had walked on water for my glory, not God's glory. But Jesus tells Peter to come. And here's the great news tonight, church, is that Peter didn't stand on the word of the water. He stood on the word of God. When Jesus says, come, we don't stand on our situation or circumstance. We stand on the very word of God, the power, the anointing, the authority, the all sufficiency, the omnipotence, the omniscience. We stand on that word. So when Jesus says, come, you don't need to fear. You don't need to worry. You don't need to fret because Jesus will provide the way. You see, risking without Jesus is reckless, but believing with Jesus is miraculous. And I have two sort of tests that I always apply when I sense God leading me to do something, because I think sometimes we can get caught in this, is it me or is it God? Is it me or is it God? I always ask myself, well, first of all, is it good? And if it's good, then I begin to listen to that prompting. And I always ask myself to differentiate because one will build my flesh and feed my flesh and the other will build the kingdom of God. You see, when I walked out on that dock, I was trying to feed my flesh to show off to my cabin mates that I walked on the water. But if it was God saying, come, it would have built his kingdom. So I always ask myself, am I getting the credit or is God getting the credit? The other test I apply is, one, my flesh fears, but the other makes my spirit soar. If it's going to make the spirit soar, the Holy Spirit and my spirit, then I've got to trust that that prompting, that leading, that nudge, that gentle calling of that, whatever the situation may be, I have to trust that and go to the beckoning. Now, when Peter got down out of the boat before the miracle could occur, he had to get out of the boat. Peter had to do something to see the provision of God. Peter couldn't just sit stagnant in the boat going, is it me or is it God? Is it me or is it, God? Is it good? Does it allow the glory of God to be evident? So what does he do? He gets down out of the boat. One of my favorite quotes is a ship is safe in the harbor, but that's not what the ship was intended for. We live our whole lives like these boats in the safety of the harbor, never setting sail on the open ocean, never trusting God's provision in the nick of time, never watching, waiting, and seeing what our boat that God has gifted us with is capable of. Because I got news for you, church, your boat's on loan. You have to steward that boat. This boat is not a boat that I built. This is a boat that God built. This is a boat I have a responsibility to gift back to God. Because God's gifted me my gift 
back to God is how I steward this thing called life. How do I provide a life of submission to my heavenly father? Do I or don't I? And so often we remain in the boat so long that we begin the boat is our source of security rather than just a resource to accomplish what God's created us to do. The boat is a resource. It's not the destination. It's the facilitator, the conduit, the transportation for God to get us where he needs us to go. But we begin to look to the boat as our source of security rather than looking to the heavens, keeping him in our focus. We begin to look at our boat as the focus. You see, there were 11 of the disciples were afloat by the boat. And one was made possible to float because of Jesus. And he had to get down out of the boat to see Jesus accomplish what only he could accomplish. In verse 30, it says, but then he saw the wind and he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. When he shifted his focus from Jesus to his circumstance, he begins to sink. You see, problems will always arise when doubt takes the place of trust. Problems will always arise. When Peter asks a question though, what did Jesus do? He responds. When Peter goes part of the way, what does Jesus do? He goes all the way. When Peter begins to sink, Jesus is there to pick him up. But as soon as he shifts his focus on the past provision of Jesus and what Jesus has already accomplished, as soon as he shifts that focus to the wind, he begins to sink. In verse 31, it says, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Now notice, they're still on the water. They, they haven't climbed back into the boat. They're still on the water. Sometimes the greatest lessons will be learned when you are sinking, not when you are back in your boat. The greatest lessons are learned amidst that adversity, amidst that trial, amidst that challenge. It's learned while you're sinking, not when you're in the safety and comfort of your boat. He takes the time to teach him that lesson at the most valuable, vulnerable, challenging time. When Peter's probably, he's sinking, yelling out, Lord, save me. He had desperation. Are we desperate for Jesus? He had need. Are we in need of Jesus? Are we focusing on the wind in our lives or are we keeping our faith in focus? And I want to speak to some of you in this room tonight who you've gotten out of your boat, but right now you're sinking. Right now you sense drowning. Right now you sense that struggle, that need, and your hand is outstretched and you're wondering and questioning, Jesus, do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you recognize my need? He sees you. He knows you. He has plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Whatever that challenge is and that difficulty is, it's beneath the feet of Jesus. And we see Peter get to do what none of the other disciples did because he got out of his boat. 
You see, God doesn't have to change my circumstances amidst the storm to use me. Sometimes he uses the storm in the midst of the circumstances to change me and to change others and to testify to how good he is. I believe this, whatever storm it is that you're facing, that's just the setup for the miracle that God desires to do in and through your life. And instead of praying, take it from me, take it from me, take it from me, we should start to stand and declare, Lord, strengthen me, strengthen me, strengthen me. Because I trust that in the storm, that in the sinking, in the despair, that when I outstretch my hand, you're going to provide at the exact time and moment of need. I showed you our twins. And for the past 14 years of marriage, Andrew and I have desired children. And for nine years, we had undiagnosed infertility, where no matter what doctor we sought, no matter who we talked to, no matter what we tried to do, even in adoption, even in foster care, every single door we tried to walk through slammed shut. Had a little girl in our home that the guardian ad litem said, this is gonna be a done deal, this is your daughter. The judge decides at the last second, no, we're gonna do a reunification. This is baby number 10. All of the other nine children had been taken from the bio mom. It was seemingly a done deal. And I remember dropping to my knees on August 1st and saying, Jesus, I can't take any more. I can't handle another bad report. I can't handle another negative pregnancy test. I can't handle another thing. And as I laid on the floor and my husband looked at me and said, baby, you're enough. If this is what Jesus has for us, you're enough for me. I don't need to be a father. You are enough. I have to trust what Jesus says and what his plans are because his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. Now, you know the end of the story, but what you didn't get to see was the nine years of desperation, the nine years of feeling like my boat is sinking, the nine years of hand outstretched going, Jesus, I can't take it anymore. But what I saw was Jesus provide again and 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 again. But it wasn't in the way I wanted. It wasn't in the way I planned for. It wasn't in the way I desired. But I trusted that even though I couldn't see Jesus, he was in the storm with me. He was present, available, ready. And as soon as I would outright stretch my hand, he was right there to grab me from the sinking. And on November 13th in 2018, my twins were born. And I wish I could tell you that as they turn six months old next week, that it's been easy. <laughs> Whew, it's not easy. Come on, mamas out there. It's not, and two at one time. Whoo, it's not easy. But I've thanked God every single day for those miracles. I've thanked God every day for that provision and the promise, and as I've seen it come to pass. But here's what I know. More need creates more need. I needed babies, I needed to be a mom, and now I need sleep. And now I need help. And now I need sanity. <laughs> more need creates more need, but Jesus provides again and again and again right on time. In verses 32 and 33, it says, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. 
Now, we see that Jesus rescued Peter from the drowning, and he rescued all of them from the storm. Not just Peter from drowning, but all of them from the storm. And I think sometimes Peter gets kind of a bad rap, you know, because it's like, Peter, why did you doubt? Why did you have such little faith? But you know, I just got to hand it to Peter. At least one of them got out of the boat. At least somebody tried to experience it. But I wonder this all the time. I wonder what the other 11 disciples were thinking. Oh, here goes Peter again, trying to show off for Jesus. I wonder if they were sitting back just kind of going, Peter, oh, okay, get out of the boat. Let's, let's just fix the storm and move on. Come on, Peter, take some time to think about others. Like sometimes I just imagine that that's probably what was going through the disciples' minds. And I want to challenge you with this tonight, that sometimes when you're trying to take a step out in faith and you're trying to test the waters and trying to get out of the boat, not everybody's always going to be a fan. Not everybody's always going to be a cheerleader. Not everybody's always going to be an encourager. I remember when Andrew and I were setting out to plant Grace City, we had really encouraging feedback like, does our city really need another church? Are you sure that this is going to work? Do you have a backup plan? Andrew and I invested all of our savings. He quit his job so that we could plant the church. We knew how long we could live off of my teacher's salary for how long. We, we had this plan and, and all these encouraging people were saying such lovely faith-building things like, what's your backup plan? Getting out of the boat doesn't make sense to people still in the boat. When you're getting out of the boat, does it make sense to anyone else why you're getting out of the boat? It doesn't make sense because average people want you to stay average. Mediocrity loves mediocrity, but we serve a God who's above average. We serve a God who's bigger than anything we could imagine. We serve a God who can't be boxed in. We serve a God who's greater than that situation and greater than that circumstance. Come on, if you believe it tonight, give him some praise. So often, we want to please the people in our boat. So often we remain focused on what the people think in our boat. But Peter doesn't care about what the other disciples think. Peter's looking at Jesus, staring at Jesus, walking toward Jesus, and gets to experience something that nobody else got to experience because he just wanted to be like Jesus. Where in our lives can we stand to be a little bit more like Jesus? Where in our lives... That if we wanted to see God do something great, we could take a step out of the boat and just watch what God's able to do. Where in our lives are we being beckoned and called out of the boat? Because if we want to see God do the miraculous, sometimes you got to do something ridiculous. And it might mean getting out of a boat. But Peter got to do what nobody else got to do because he was brave enough to get out of the boat. I'm going to invite the team up and close with a couple of thoughts. I think that one of the things that's so significant to me about this is that Peter's speaking to Jesus, so he's listening for his voice. He's looking at Jesus, even though he initially thought he was a ghost. He's walking toward Jesus, and as long as he's kept Jesus as his focus, he's good. 
He's walking on that water. The moment Peter shifts his focus from Jesus, he begins to sink. You see, my focus sets the parameters for what I'm believing for. If I put Jesus in a box, then that's where Jesus is gonna live. But if I can trust that Jesus is able to do more than I think, I can just maybe see him do something miraculous. Where we used to live in Washington State, we pastored there, I was a children's pastor, my husband was a college pastor, we pastored there for about seven years. And Every single time I drove home from the church, I passed a cemetery. And I had passed this cemetery hundreds of times, never thought twice about it, never stopped or paused or thought about the lives that were represented in that cemetery. And I remember this one day, driving past the cemetery and thinking about how many dreams died in that cemetery. How many boats remained in the harbor for their lifetime? How many lives were spent trusting that the boat was their source of security and not Jesus? I wondered how many more organizations could have been started? How many more children adopted? How many more people helped? How many more people saved? How many more pastors there could have been? How many more missionaries would have existed? I wondered how many people chose to remain in the boat because they were afraid of the storm and afraid of what was next and afraid of what was going on. See, one of the things that I'm encouraged by most in this story, I shared with you Mark's perspective of this same story earlier. Remember the straining of the oars, the straining against the wind, the wind buffeting against the boat. The thing that's interesting to me is that the very thing that the disciples were straining against was the very thing Jesus walked on. The very thing that they were pulled by, that they were pushed by, that they were tormented by, that they were challenged by, that they were afraid of, Jesus put under his feet. He placed the water beneath his feet. It was all beneath his feet. Whatever that thing is that you're facing, whatever that challenge is that you're up against, it's beneath his feet. That diagnosis, it's beneath his feet. That broken relationship, it's beneath his feet. That difficulty, it's beneath his feet. That financial situation, it's beneath his feet. You fill in the blank with what you're going up against. Whatever you're tormented by, whatever you're struggling against, whatever you're pushed by, it's beneath his feet. Declare that over your lives tonight. It's beneath his feet. It's beneath his feet. Whatever I'm being pushed by, it's beneath his feet. Now catch this. One of the things that is my favorite that we learn later in the scriptures. Peter, the very one that got out of the boat, the very one that, why did you doubt you of little faith? Jesus says this of Peter. 
You are the rock on which I will build my church. You are the rock on which I will build my church. Come on. You may have doubted in some seasons. You may be desperate in some seasons. We serve a God who's putting that beneath His feet. And I just wonder what God might say of you with some faithfulness, with some trust, with some belief, with some passion, with some perseverance, with some opportunity to get out of the boat. I just wonder how many more organizations are in this room. I wonder how many more adoptions are in this room. I wonder how many more ministries are in this room. How many more small groups are in this room. How many more relationships are in this room. How many more opportunities are in this room. Let's not be a church that has our dreams fall to death in a cemetery, never getting to be realized. We can't see the fulfillment of God's promises unless we trust Him as we get out of our boat. You may be in this place and you may have chosen to live your life in a boat. Here in a moment, I'm gonna invite you the opportunity to demonstrate some faith, to put your faith in focus, to not set boundaries and parameters on our God, to say, God, I'm going to burn my box. I'm not gonna limit you. I'm not gonna contain you. I'm not gonna box you in. I'm gonna rip the box off my belief. I'm gonna trust you for more. I'm gonna believe you for more.